Bem-vindos to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host, Pedro Abreu, and today we are celebrating three years of existence of this podcast. The first episode was released in December 14th, 2020, and we will take the opportunity to reflect on the experience of this show. What is my philosophy? How do I approach the interviews, my overall goals for this show, and some of our plans for the future? In order to achieve this, I first need to take a detour and tell you a little bit more about my personal history and my career in type theory and programming languages. So without further ado, let's get into it. And today we have quite a different episode. Usually I am here with someone, interviewing someone, or at least talking with my co-host or some friend. But this is a very special episode because this podcast just made three years. Yeah, it's been three years that we've been recording this. So December 14, 2020, middle of the, in the middle of the pandemic, I decided to start this podcast. And it's been three years. In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about this journey, about how were things. So it's a little bit of a recollection and I'm going to do this all by myself. And another thing that I also thought maybe would be interesting would be to tell a little bit more about myself because you, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll probably notice that I really like and I really enjoy to know where a person is coming from. I believe that everyone has a very interesting story to share, have many interesting experiences, and we are all human beings with our dreams and desires and hopes and frustrations and collaborations. And it really, it's really something that, I don't know, kind of bugs the back of my mind. You know, what, are, what, what drives people? What is, what is our drive? What is my drive? What is your drive? So by talking to people and making these kind of questions, I have this glimpse of what get people going and what's behind all of that, what is behind their greatness. And, you know, especially nowadays with social media and Twitter and Instagram, everyone seems to be having this beautiful, perfect life. But we know that life is very far from perfect and everyone goes through frustrations and problems and depressions. But we don't talk about that very, very, very much. And I really, I really appreciate, I really enjoy talking about these things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel that I'm kind of weirdo sometimes. I have some very different likes and dislikes. But yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Well, so my story... I was born in a very small town. I was born in a very small town in the in the center of Brazil called Silvania. It's in Goiás, a state of Goiás. And I think it's very important to start saying saying this because this this really shapes who I am in a very fundamental way, I believe. Um Because I feel that I've spent a lot of time trying to 
be part of something that I'm not. And in order to understand where my frustrations come from, I really have to understand where I come from, what I'm trying to accomplish, what I'm doing. So it's important for me to understand, and I've been working on this quite, quite a lot recently, that I have my background, right? I am, I am from this very small town, and I've been raised in a very particular way that is very different from most of the people that I've met around me. And I feel that long enough that, and I feel that often enough, the reason why I don't feel that I, that I fit very well is exactly because of that. It's because of this very particular kind of things that, that I grew up with and that shapes in a very fundamental way that person who I am. And in this very, very small town of Sylvania, you know, like having a very nuclear family with many uncles. I think I have five uncles in the part of mother. And I genuinely do not know how many uncles and aunts I have as part of my father because there are a lot. <laughs> Sometimes when I was a kid, a person would show up and, you know, um, it's very traditional and you have to ask for their blessings when they're an aunt or uh, a relative. Uh, so you, you have to go at them and ask for their blessings and shake hands. That's how traditional it is. And sometimes a person would come at me and say, hey, I'm, I'm your uncle, I'm your aunt, you have to ask for this. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, like, give me your blessings. Bensa, Bensa, that's how you say it. Give me your Bensa. And so that's, that's, that's the, the background that's how i was i was raised that's that's where i came from right like this very very small town in a very traditional even religious kind of setting right and both of my parents they came from very poor background and this is something that i also have to be be conscious you know because they they worked very hard to to give me the opportunities they have never had and Quite genuinely, I think their history, their story, you know, like their life story is absolutely amazing. I'm not going to get in too, into too much details, but my father, he was the, the oldest son of, as I said, many, many brothers and sisters. And he would work as a, in a, it's not really a farm, it's kind of like a ranch where he would do a lot of a lot of jobs i don't know how to there's there's probably a word in english for that but i don't i don't know the the term um it's basically someone who takes care of stuff in a ranch in a farm or something right like take care of the cattle take care of the of the fences take care of uh, getting out the 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 grass that is growing up and is bad and you have to do that all manually very poor setting right like they would they my my, my father's family would work every day just to make sure they have enough food in the table because that's where their, their main concern right and my my grand my grandfather he didn't really really care too much about sending their kids to to school like nobody cares not, not that my grandfather he didn't know better it's just that it was not a thing back then you know like this is not what he was worried about he was worried that he would be able to put food in my 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 family's table right and for some reason 
that I still fail to understand because um, you'll, you'll see in a bit what I mean. But for some reason that I still fail to understand to this day, my father decided that he was going to school and he's going to become someone. And so he would, he would do all this work in the farm and be very tired and then walk like five, 10 miles a day just to go to school. And he started school much later than people in his age. Um, and yeah, he, he would have kind of like this, this funny nickname that is, um, old, like meaning that he was, he was too old for this time, like a couple of years too old. Right. And then long story short, my father could kind of could make it and he, he became a lawyer, became a very prestigious loyal uh, lawyer in this small town. So he, he is Dr. Pedro Costa in this small town. And this is the reason why I don't go by Pedro Costa, which is my, Pedro da Costa is my, my actual surname. But then the, the other name is, is Abreu, right? And the, the final one is Junior. Yeah, in Brazil, we have these huge surnames. But anyway, so my father is Dr. Pedro Costa. And I, that, that name is taken. That's why I go by Pedro Abreu, is to have some, some difference over there and to try to assert myself that I'm not my father. No, no way, right? Although in many ways I am my father, but that's another story. So that's kind of the story of my father. And it's very, it's, it, it really tells, you know, like how, how things are very different because um, how, how I was raised very different, right? Because the, the perspectives and the values, the core values are kind of like very different. My, the last thing that I remember my grand my grandfather telling me before, before he died was that, you know, asking if my father ever, ever let me or my brother or my mom starve, you know, like if, if you always could have food in the table, that's, that's his level of, of, of concern in life, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a much simpler life and really, 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 really tells how, how we make life harder than, than it's supposed to be. If we, in a way, right? If we have enough food on the table, we should we should learn to be content and to be happy about it, and to to go on, right? But at the same time, um, times now are different, and I have different kinds of concerns as well. And in a way, I feel that I have to, given the sort of things I was given in life, I have to do much better than than my parents did, right? Anyways, that's my, that's my father's part of the story. Then comes my mother's part where she was, she was also, so she, she's the youngest of five brothers and she's the only woman in the house. And my grandfather, my grandfather died when my mom was like five uh, from Chagas disease, which is this very old disease that it barely exists anymore in Brazil because of how houses were made back then that so it's a I think it's a virus that goes in your heart and makes your heart extremely big and it cannot pump properly and you end up dying so that's that's how my grand, grandfather died so my mom and and my my one of my uncles they have they had to 
to work very hard, like from a very early age to help my grandmother be able to still put food on the table. My uncle would go out and fish a lot. And the oldest, but the oldest of the uncles also have a mental disease that he, he could not, he could not do anything. Like he just gives trouble. Right. Um, he passed away recently. Yeah. My grandmother also passed away recently when I was in Brazil, but that's, that's for another time. But, um, my point being here that this, this is, this is my background and this is kind of what I would like you guys to have in mind when I'm telling you my story, because I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very, very deep part of, of who I am really makes, you know, like the, the core of my values and my concerns and where I'm trying, what I'm trying to achieve and what I'm trying to build in life. Right. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunities that, that I was given and, and for the things that people that came before me did. And this is what they would, they would call, you know, like your ancestry. It's not necessarily that I don't, I don't have an ancestry tree. Like I think my, my father's family all came from kind of like slaves in a sense. My father was black. My father was black, black. And my mom, my mom family is probably some descendancy of the Portuguese. They're all very white and I'm right in the middle. I refuse nowadays here in the US to, to answer what is my ethnicity because they don't have the, 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 the proper answer that, that says in my heart that I'm Pardo. Pardo is the mixture between white and black in Brazil, right? My father is black. My mom is white. I'm Pardo. Um, and this is, this is part of my identity. This is part of, of, of who I am, right? Like this, this duality of, you know, in Brazil, we, we were colonized. We have a history that's still very alive of people who has been colonized. Things have taken away, have been taken away. All their, their valuables have been taken away and they were left pretty much to take care of themselves and still a lot of the differences in, in, in money, differences in power come from these historical dynamics, right? So it's important to have these things in mind. But um, these are things that are always kind of like in the back of my mind, you know? So I, I come to the story now, right? So my father and my mom, they come together and give birth to this person that is me. These two universes collide. And I'm, I'm there in their middle now, right? Um, I would consider that my childhood was a little turbulent. I just put that way. My father was a, an alcoholic and It was tough. It was tough for, especially for my mom, I believe, but they did a really good job trying to hide their problems away from us, from me and my brother. I have one older brother. He's three years and a half older than I am. Amazing person. 
I, I love my, my brother. I really do. I, we have our differences. We have, <laughs> we fought a lot when we were kids, but I genuinely think that my brother is one of the most smart people I've ever, I've ever met. I've ever had the opportunity to be in the presence of. <laughs> and you guys know that I've been in, in, especially in this podcast, I've been in the presence of extremely smart people, but my brother is just built different guys. My brother, he is, he's a, a living encyclopedia. <laughs> there is there is no subject that he doesn't know quite quite well many things about that subject sometimes <laughs> sometimes he, he he starts um saying things about my research field and i get angry because he doesn't understand like some some nuances in mathematics for example but he still be very vocal and very passionate to kind of like try to prove his point and i I've just learned to be to be quiet and to be silent, which I believe that is a very important skill to have as a podcast host. And to be quite frankly, it's not it's not easy to be putting myself here in this position of of talking, of telling, of opening up. Um, I have my my problems with that, and and I think this is the reason why I wanted to do this. It's like I like to challenge myself, to put myself out of my comfort zone. And right, where was I? I was talking about about growing up, right? Like my father was was alcoholic, and it was 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 hard growing up. Well, it wasn't. I don't, it's it was not I don't know it's 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 hard to to measure right um I'm very aware <laughs> it's it's weird right guys because um I'm I'm very aware that many people have very harder lives than I did right like I I was lower middle class maybe upper middle class for the standards of Brazil for the standards of of the US I was poor for sure but for the sense of, of Brazil, I was higher middle class, you know, um, lower middle class, and just having some some problems, fam familiar familiar problems, right? Um, and I think I think this this duality is always in my head, you know, like um, acknowledging something is tough or was tough in my life, and at the same time having the the consciousness clarity that many people have it worse, right? Um, it's an interesting duality there, which you probably notice many times where I, I stop to make this distinction, right? But um, anyways, I grew up like that and I was, we were in this very small town, very traditional, very religious, very Catholic. So that's very ingrained in, in who I am, you know, like the, this spirituality part. It's, it's, it was important, it was taught, it was valued, and it still is. I cherish that. You cannot erase certain things of who you are, right? Um, my father died when I was 10. It was an accident, or at least that's what I was told. But I was not, uh, I'm not going to get into the, those details. He died, though. And after that, it was me, my mom, and my, and my brother.
We, mo we moved town a couple of times after that. We went to a couple of other towns inside of, inside of Goyas. And in hindsight, looking back, I feel that this was a preparation of, you know, how my life, I was always being prepared to go a little, a little bigger, right? This was, I, I was raised in this very small town and then middle of nowhere in Brazil. And I go to this other small town, but slightly bigger with bigger things and higher stuff. Just so you guys have a perspective, these places that I'm talking about, Silvania and Mojinhos, where I was growing up as a child, but they didn't even have a, a movie theater. <laughs> Some, something, something came out, a movie came out, we would have to travel to the capital to watch a movie. That's how things were. And it's not, it's not a complaint or anything. It's just so you guys have a better picture in your head, especially, especially because I expect that many of who is listening to this right now is, is in the US or somewhere in Europe. And you guys have no idea. You guys have no idea what is the difference in culture. Um, which, by the way, I definitely recommend. If I have the opportunity, go, go, to, a, go to a third world country. Do a trip in Latin America, go to Asia, Malaysia, go to these places that really you will see what poverty means with your, with your own eyes. And, and don't go to the big cities, don't go to the tourist places, go to where, don't, don't go to Rio and look at this, at this lums over there that is just being sold and, and shown that particular thing. Really go to the, to the depths and the real depth of, of a country and see the culture alive on how it actually is, right? This will open your hearts and your minds and your vision of the world in ways that you'll never be, be able to close the doors of your eyes again and have a much higher perspective of what is actually going on in the world. And then finally, I started university when I was 17. I went to computer science. And that's, that's very interesting now. Because, you know, I was the typical little nerd, little boy, you know, that would be playing video games most of the time of the day. Although, yeah, my, my, my parents, they would impose limits, you know, like could only play a couple of hours a day and I would still go out with my friends. And I think my childhood in that's, that, that sense was really good. I would, I would really take my bicycle and ride around in town with my friends, especially since it was such a small town, it's not that dangerous. And, and I could stay out a lot and play in the streets. It was not dangerous at all. And, and had a lot of fun, have a lot of experiences as, as kids, you know. Um, so, growing up like that, it's, it's very curious because I have this picture where I was, um, drinking milk from a baby bottle and playing video, playing the computer <laughs> back in that time i would i would definitely say i remember saying that what what i wanted to do when i grew up is to do computer stuff 
That's literally my answer. I just want to do computer stuff. <laughs> and when it was time to choose the university, I I didn't have I didn't have to choose much. So in that in that regard, I'm definitely lucky in a way because I kind of like always knew what I was gonna do. I was gonna do computer stuff. So <laughs> when I was in high school, all I had to decide was between computer engineering. Well, no, yeah, computer computer engineering or computer science, right? And thanks God I, I chose computer science because I hate computer engineering. I hate dealing with hardware. I hate going low level assembly, VHDL. Those were the classes that I hated the most in, in undergrad. And I absolutely love the, the science part of computers, right? The, the math, the logic, and this is what we do here. Not, don't need to get too much into the details of that, right? But quite particularly, I think I felt in love with with our field like the moment i found type theory or, or logic was in number theory number theory i had this most amazing professor he was so passionate he was so happy and you could really see his eyes sparkle when he was proving the theorem he would be there with all the presence of being, right? And, and showing us the beauty of math, of, of proving things, of number theory. Uh, Diego Marques. Apparently he has the world... I'm not sure if it's Brazilian record or the world record, but he finished his undergrad, his master's, and his PhD in four years, four months, and four days. <laughs> this, this guy this is, this is really insane, right? Like, not only he does it extremely quick, like four years, four months is the time I, I, I didn't even do my undergrad in that time. He did all three, his undergrad, his master's, and his PhD in four years. And not only that, he still, you know, like, play a joke that he chooses the numbers to be pretty, right? Because his field is number theory, and that's what he does. So four months, four days as well. This guy, ah, oh, a legend, a legend. I remember clearly the last day of class. It's a, it's a thing in Brazil then. This is my university, I don't know. You go to the professor's um, room, his office, in the last day to review any, any grades that you had problem. It go through, you can go through your exams and talk about it and see what you guys can do to get a better letter grade in the end, right? I don't remember if if I was actually if I needed to do any adjustments in my letter grade, but I remember distinctively that I wanted to ask him, look, I'm a computer science major and I absolutely loved number theory. What should I do next? What's the next step? And he told me to take analysis. <laughs> you know, um real analysis, right? And I'm like, no fucking way. I'm not taking real analysis. No way, it's too hard. I know the I know I know about it, right? Not taking that. Thank you very much. And it's like, well, that's that's the next step. <laughs> and I, I just refused it. Um and inside, well, I did take complex analysis later, much later. But um I think I think if he had suggested algebra, we had we had abstract algebra. So if he had suggested abstract algebra, I think that would have been what I was looking for. Like the, the next natural step would be abstract algebra for me. 
which I took and it was it was marvelous, it was delicious, it was amazing. I also took logic, which I also delved into it. I started doing undergrad research with the logic professor Flavio Flavio Moura. Um, professor Ayala is over there. Um, he was the advisor of Flavio as well. I didn't I didn't work too much with Ayala, but he's kind of he's kind of a, a name in this in our field. And working with with Flavio was when I I got contact with Cock, which apparently has changed the name now for Rock or Rock Cube. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I'm very glad. I'm very happy. This is a definitely a step forward. I appreciate that. It's good stuff. So yeah, I started working with Cock. Same time I was doing this very small internship. I was just like fixing some printers. It was funny times I would do, you know, like it was this, this little office where you would be in this um, windowed wall and I would mostly stay in there watching TV show. Like there was not much to do, either watching TV show or doing homework. And every now and then, very not often, there would be something to, to be fixed. Fun times, good times, good made made good good acquaintances, good friends, which I I don't have much contact anymore. Which is also the sad part of being this kind of like nomad, going to places to places, living in many cities. This is I don't know, sixth city that I live in my in my life. By the way, I did I did my so I, I forgot to mention, but then I moved Moved to Brasilia to do my undergrad, right? And this university over there, University of Brasilia, is where I did my undergrad. And I must say, if you're a Brazilian watching this right now, I know I know I have some Brazilian audience here. Value the institutions that we have. They are amazing. They're free, which is especially especially here to the for the US. It is it is a very big deal. And they're really good. They're really good. I don't feel that I, I was left behind when I when I started my PhD. That there was there were gaps or that my education was un were was not good enough. It was very good enough. We used the same textbooks that as people here outside would use, you know, the professors. Mo I think pretty much all of my professors they had PhD abroad. And they will they they will come back and be these amazing professors, very engaged. A lot of the professors that I met, they're very passionate for what they do, and really cherish bringing this to to their students. So, this is also part of what I call my ancestrality, right? These these were the people that that taught me to be to have this 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 love for research for doing this kind of stuff right for computer science because this this really transported out of is that a word in english transported um leaks out of their hearts you know like really you can you can feel from their the tone of their voice and the sparkle in the eyes how in love they are with that subject right and really, really gets you going. This is kind of the professional. Well, I want to be. This is this is what have inspired me and still inspires me to this day, to be this person that really brings awe to other people, who really brings this inspiration and and sparkle in the eye that 
you will understand something now and can love this subject as well. Sure, not all not all subjects is for everyone, you know, like maybe logic, you're not never going to use logic. Some of my students are never going to use logic in their lives anymore, even though it's pervasive in computer science, right? Like even, even doing if then else is, is a kind of logic, but you know, like the, the in intricate parts, soundness, um, these hard theorems going in really into the details, the depth is not for everyone. It's not necessary for everyone. And I, and I understand that, but for those who, who will, who, I want to present this for people that might learn this and might see that this is a beautiful world in the back, in the, the back of this, you just have to give it time and, and to understand this. I think this is the, the value of a professor, by the way, the person who will present and show something, you know, like just kind of, I, I, I was going to say gatekeeper, but it's not a gatekeeper. That's that's the rest, the whole rest of academia. The reviewers are gatekeepers, but um, we're gonna talk more about academia as we go. Okay, it's definitely something that has been bothering my my soul, my existence for a while now. It's the how how things are in academia right now, not only in computer science, but we, we'll get there. We'll get there. So this this is this is what I think a professor should be. Right, professor is this person that really presents a topic, presents a knowledge to a person who does not, not possess that knowledge yet and show, hey, look, these are things that maybe you didn't, even, you didn't even know that was possible to exist. And here are some cool things about it. Here is what other people has discovered to it, about it. And here are some things that we can do within. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not every subject that you can put there, things that you can do with it. This is a discussion that I often come with, with, with some friends, is that I definitely appreciate the value of math by its beauty, by its sheer beauty. Don't necessarily have to do anything at all interesting with it. If you can appreciate it for what it is, you know, proving a theorem and having this deep, sense of awe, the same sense of awe when you listen to this beautiful composition, when you listen to Beethoven, to Mozart, to Dvorak, and your, your mind just goes to these beautiful places, other dimensions of the psyche, and you come back and you just, wow, that was, I believe that there is a sense of math of that in math as well, right? This sense of beauty, of awe, of something, I wanna say something more fundamental to it all. Call me crazy, call me dreamer. Maybe I am, maybe I am, but this is, this is, this is my, these are my views. These are my genuine views. And let me know what you guys think. I know that, um, I know that I don't have the, the comments anymore in the website, but post on Twitter, send me an email, send me an email. You guys, you guys know the drill. I'm here talking with, with my old timers. <laughs> if you're new here, it's type three for all at gmail.com. Go to the website. I have great plans for the podcast and we're also going to talk about it in a bit. So going back about, about my, <laughs> I keep, I keep, I keep going forth back and forth through things. I hope I, um, I have no idea 
if this is going to be anyhow entertaining for you guys. I hope it is. I hope someone is is there. I hope you are, are enjoying what we're talking about. But um, let's go back. Let's go back to to my my experience, right? So I'm I'm in I'm an undergrad. I'm in University of Brasilia, and I is I am just learning about this beautiful, beautiful world of pure math, of logic, and then lambda calculus and functional programming. That's when I went to Australia for an exchange, okay? In Australia, it was very interesting. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking here in my head how personal I want to get with all of this, but it's a, it's a tricky question, right? Because I already started getting extremely personal and telling you my my story from the from before my credo, and now I'm here wondering how personal I want to get. So, in my point of view. It's undissociable. It's impossible to disassociate who you are as a as a professional. To okay, let, let's take a step back. You'll probably notice that I'm talking about a lot of, uh, about values, and values make, in my point of view, make a key structure of who a person is, right? And your values are built in your personal life. So even though here in this podcast. We are talking about professional, professional things, right? We're talking about math, about type theory, about logic. It's impossible to disassociate who I'm interviewing with his personal life, with who he is in his heart and his relationships and his dreams and his hopes and his, you know, how his family look like sometimes. What, it, what is his concerns? Do I have children? What is, what is going on in their, in their heads, right? Because what is going on and what is... What are their preoccupations, for example, is how it's going to shape their research and how they're going to view the world in front of them and how they're going to approach to solve those problems, right? So when I'm here wondering how personal I'm going to get, I'm wondering how much do I have to tell you guys so you can have a better understanding of where I'm sitting, like what, what makes Pedro Pedro at this particular moment in time December 2023 in Lafayette, right? This is what I'm trying to, to accomplish here. <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very bold it's very it's very hard claim, right? Like to give this notion of this glimpse into someone into someone else's mind. This is what I try to accomplish in my interviews. By the way, I want to give a glimpse. I want to get into a person's mind and their perspective, their context in his in its full depth. And it's a very hard thing to do as a as a host. I really have to sit down and really think and really put myself in their shoes. And in order to do that, it's hard to find the right questions and how to navigate that and to build a proper narrative. And every single every single episode I put a lot of effort. I put a lot of effort in researching the person, getting back and learning 
as much as I can about their background and the kind of research they have done and where they, they came from, what universities they're at, who they've worked with, so that I can, I can at least try, try to understand where, where, this, where, where is this person coming from, right? And how can I, can I tweak those questions to find it, to touch that place in this person's psyche? So, I mean, I'm in Australia, and the reason why I'm, I'm going through all this loop here to see how, how personal we want to get is because I, I was in a, in a long-distance relationship. I went into a relationship. It was, I, was, I was completely obsessed with this girl, my last, my last ex, by the way. I'm not going to say her name so that make her leave her privacy on it, right? But the, the reason why this is important is because it was very tough. It was a very tough time in my life. It was, a, it was the most amazing time in my life. At the same time, one of the most tough experiences that I've had as a person. <laughs> life is very funny because there I was in the other side of the world, in the apex of my, of my career that didn't even start yet. I'm still a student, right? I'm still trying to figure out what, I'm, what I want to do, where, where I want to go, where I want to be. And yet, I was struggling a lot because <laughs> if you've never been in a long-distance relationship without seeing your partner for one year, it's I don't I don't recommend it to anyone. I would have totally have done different by now. A lot of people warn me, but I'm another thing about me is that I'm very strong-headed. You know, like I'm very I put something in my head and just go with it forever very hard to convince me to go in a different path that I have already decided to go. And I have decided to go and, and be in this relationship with this girl, which was also a very strongly headed person. And I really appreciate that about her. And I was going through this very tough time. I believe, I believe that I went through undiagnosed depression in this one year of my life due to the situation that I've told you about. However, I believe that this has opened my life a lot. It has opened all the doors of opportunities in my life. And I'm not sure if I would, I would be where I am if it wasn't for, for these opportunities that I had in Australia. I was in Sydney, Australia, by the way. And I worked, I did a, a summer internship, which is at the end of the year, by the way, in Australia, because it's in the south. So I think from December to February 2014 to 15, I was in NICTA, which is Data 61 nowadays, but it was called NICTA. I have, I have an episode with, um, oh my God, his name, his name just, just faded from my memory right now. But I have an episode with, with one of the main, main people that, that was there, amazing conversation I had with him as well. In any case, I'm there in NICTA, Data621, and we were using Isabel. Isabel was new for me. I had to learn this serum prover. Thanks to Ben Lipmeyer. Ben Lipmeyer, he was my, my mentor at this, at this time. He was pretty much the only functional programming person in the University of Sydney because most of them are in the UNSW, the, the state university of New South Wales, right? 
and so he he introduced me to those to those cool guys he introduced me to gabby keller which was inside of nikta doing cool stuff and she gave me this internship it wasn't paid but i had i was i had to do this internship because of my the the, the study abroad program that i was part of right so they put me to it was it was very simple i just had to prove a couple of lemmas with with the guys but you know like really put me into this setting uh really professional setting see how people work and how things goes in there i think i think it was really really good for my cv applying for phds later on so yeah i did that it was it was really cool opened a lot of doors really gave me perspective and still convinced that this is this is what I wanted for for my life right slowly slowly oh no kind of right because this is when machine learning was was at the rise in a, in in the world but it was not in, in in Brazil Brazil we didn't talk about machine learning yet 2015 this was not a thing and when I was in Australia, all we would, all I would see, and a lot of like, I looked for other internships. Everything was just about machine learning. Was extremely hyped as it is right now, right? Like, it's, it already was. So I came back to Brazil and I decided to to do some some research and learn more about this machine learning stuff, right? So I started doing this, those those research with machine learning, and I was working with a very toxic advisor back then it's 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 funny my it's it's weird right how our lives is intertwined with amazing people and and some complete dicks sometimes even though i don't know i feel i feel bad when i when i have your thoughts about other people maybe it's about you know this catholic background that i have but uh i i like to think that nobody sees themselves as a villain in their own story and yet still some people are just complete dicks <laughs> and we cannot i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know i don't have an answer for that it's just part of nature i think same way you cannot blame a dog for barking you cannot blame a, a dick person for being a dickhead <laughs> i think i think but um or maybe you can. I don't know. I really, really don't know. I'm not the right person to be making those judgment calls. Because again, as I said, my 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 goal here, my goal in my life is to see see people, have a glimpse. This is what I do in this podcast: have a glimpse of other people's psyche. And I I cannot go in the assumption that this person is is being mean. Because they just want to be mean, I I don't I don't believe that I I cannot work like that. I've never I never met a person in my life. Well, maybe maybe there are some psychopaths, right? That that, that happens. But anyways, anyways, whatever. I'm I'm losing the focus here. I worked this person. I was doing machine learning. It went really bad, and I I, I had to shift research, and I went back to to doing type theory, like doing cock. And I found this other advisor, Rodrigo Bonifacio. And I started working with him. 
to prove some stuff in Cork. He didn't know much of Cork, which is the most crazy part. And still, we had amazing, um, amazing time working together. I think we 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 were our dynamics was extremely good together. And I am very grateful for Rodrigo in my life. As I'm saying, like sometimes you find Dick, sometimes you find amazing mentors and angels, absolute angels in your life. And Rodrigo is definitely an angel in my life. He sent me to the U.S. for the Oregon Programming Languages Summer School. If you're watching this episode. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you've probably noticed that when I have a chance to talk about OPOSS, I do, because it has a very, very special place in my heart. It was pretty much one of the best three weeks of my life was in OPOSS, 2000 and when did I go? 17, 16, 17 or 16. And... Uh, it was, I was, I decided to do a PhD in the U.S. because of Oregon Programming Languages Summer School. The people I've met there was so full of life, so passionate for, for these things, for formal methods, for type theory. But meeting Bob Harper, he's, oh, I really have to get him in this show. I'm like... I'm kind of preparing myself for that day because Bob Harper is just, he, he just is overfilling passion for type theory. It's impossible. It's impossible for a person to not be watching one of his, one of his lectures and not feel motivated, not feel this joy that he feels when he's talking about it. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And I thank you so much, Bob. Um, amazing person as well. Had the chance to talk briefly with him at this at this conference. David Christensen, yeah. Oh my God, I remember. <laughs> I remember distinctively as well one night, one evening that that he's there, and I believe that at the time was still was still going on the, the Type Theory Podcast. By the way, this is why this podcast is not called Type Theory Podcast because that already exists and David Christensen is was the honor, is the honor, I think. So I had to come up with another name. But I told him, I told him, David, one day I want to have a podcast. <laughs> I love the podcast. I love what you do. And one day I want to have one. And, it, and then we talk a little bit about it, but... I think I never I never took it very seriously. Like I, I always had this this something in, inside of me. I was like, I want a podcast for some reason <laughs> from a very long time. And and I think I think he said something along the lines of like, you'll have someday, you know. He's <laughs> a really cool guy, really, really nice guy. I'm I'm also I'm also inviting him very soon, hopefully. And so I come back to Brazil, I graduate, and I start applying for for programs outside. I was I was convinced I'm I'm gonna I was I was about to graduate. I was gonna graduate in two thousand middle of two thousand seventeen. And and so he 
I, I would have this kind of like half an year to study for for the exams, right? So for the GRE, for TOEFL, for for those stuff, right? And and I was convinced I'm gonna I'm gonna stop everything I'm doing and I'm going to study very hard for these examinations and I'm I am going to 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 the US to do my, my PhD. One thing that I didn't know before going to the OPLSS as well is that I was in, in Brazil, you always need a master's to do to do the PhD, and then I learned in OPLSS that it was not the case for the US. In the US, you don't need a master's to do a PhD. You can go straight to the PhD if your CV is good enough, and the professor will have you, and you have the TOEFL and the GRE and all of that, right? So I graduate, I finish the project. For some reason in Brazil, in order to graduate as an undergrad, you also need a thesis just like the master's. So I was like, it's useless for me to do the master's in the US. I feel that the master, that the undergrad in Brazil is as strong as a master's in the US often enough, not always the case, but for, for University of Brasilia that I was from, I definitely feel that it was the case. It took me seven years to graduate and it's not because I was a lacquer. I was a little bit of a slacker, not gonna lie, especially because I did the, the study abroad program, things went a little slower due to that. But, we have to take a lot of classes, a lot, a lot, a lot of classes in order to graduate. Doesn't, it's, it's pretty much twice as much classes as you would do in a typical American institution. So I graduate and I start studying and I apply to other universities. I didn't apply to too many because my grades in GRE was bad. I remember that I was talking with Zdensevich, Steve Zdensevich in UPenn. We were we were excited to be working on LLVM stuff, but I was I was I wasn't even considered for for the application there. Like Steve could not even pull up my CV because my Jerry score was not good enough for a particular point over there. And that I was I was so frustrated. I was so sad and angry about it. It was beyond my control. I don't know. Nowadays, I I think it was better that way. I think I wouldn't be a great fit over there, anyways. UPenn would be too much pressure on my shoulders. It's not it's not me. And I ended up here at Purdue in Lafayette. But before that, before that, I did another internship. This time in the Bay Area at Sci Five. So if you go back to to episode zero, I will go into more details about the projects that I was doing in, in all these places and and all this what these internships meant, right? So just 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 pointing pointing out that the the, the proper time lapse here in my professional career. So after sci five I came, I came back to Lafayette, and this is, by the way, this is the point when I broke up with my girlfriend because I was moving to the U.S. So that was after, after Australia, things went great. It was, I'm very glad for that time in my life, but then I came here and we decided to not go through long distance again <laughs> for obvious reasons. And that was that, that was another page of my life and the page of us started and i started doing research with an absolutely amazing 
amazing advisor, Benjamin Delaware, over here. I have immense, immense respect. I am not going to go through the details of personal stuff that he went through, I went, we went through, but this person has such a deep emotional resilience that I've never, I've never seen a person like this. Ben, ben he's built different. He's built different. Amazing person. Absolutely amazing person. Go back, watch our episode one. They go through, through what is PL over there. After my first year as a PhD student, I did another internship. Yes, I've done quite a few internships at this point. Quite some, I, I have experience. I have 30 years right now. I'm talking with you. I am 30 year old. At the beginning of the PhD, I was 25, 26. And I've got a lot of experience from them. And I think I'm starting to digest all of this. And this is also why I am, I'm taking my time to tell this story, to tell my story for you guys, is to help me process in a way all of this and to assert my, my own experience because I have, I have a tendency, as I said at the beginning, to, to be quiet, right? to listen, to take things to my, myself, which is a little contradictory. If, if you're my friend, you notice that I, I am, I'm often a little more extroverted but I think it tells a lot more about my own personal insecurities than anything else, because I don't know, um, in a way I'm more introverted than extrovert, but I behave extroverted for, for several reasons. Anyways, I went to Galois, Portland, 2018. Again, best time of my life. <laughs> I said OPOSS was the best time of my life. Portland was also the best time of my life. They, and I don't think that's a contradictory statement have two best times of your life it's totally totally fine because they're they're different places in life and the time i had with the other interns over there oh my god it was all of us was living our dream we are again in the apex you know in the top of the in the top of the world who would tell that this little boy grown up in this middle of fucking nowhere brazil sylvania would be in Goa, Goa is an amazing company. You know, it was one of the reasons as well why I went to the US. You know, they have these amazing places. I would love to work there. David Christensen that I mentioned earlier was working over there. And um, apparently we were the only two Esperantists over there. We spoke a little bit of Esperanto. I'm not gonna try speaking Esperanto here because it's very, my Esperanto is very broken right now. It's been a while. I think that was the last time I practiced any Esperanto and still it was very, very little. Anyhow, Portland, Oregon, amazing place, amazing weather, amazing food, amazing people, amazing music. I'm, ugh, ugh. I, I honestly, I honestly consider dropping the PhD and staying in, in Galois. Don't, don't tell this, don't tell Ben this. <laughs> I honestly, I honestly thought about it. Good money as well. Amazing people. Oh my God. What a place. What a place. And the other interns. So we were, we were these intern cohorts. 
hi to, to my friends, look Paulette Kronkiewicz, to um, Sarastino, to everyone, everyone. I'm gonna I'm gonna forget someone if I keep if I keep listening. I don't want to do that. All of them were very important for me. I love you guys so much. So amazing times. I really cherish those those times. Every other every weekend we would go out and be partying. And if you if you are if you are a PhD student, if you are listening to this right now, and you have the opportunity, you know, like you're looking for summer internships, you have the opportunity. It's open to work at Galois. Just apply. Take your chance to go there. You will not regret. Amazing place. Amazing people. Just what a what an opportunity. Thank you so much, Galoa, for giving me this opportunity in my life to be with you guys. Um, I hope we can. I still will be able to contribute with you guys in the future. So, continuing. I come back from Galoa. What is next? I got I got a TA award. I think this is this is an important point I want to make as well. This was definitely in my little mental script, which is which is a thing. Sometimes I have a script. Sometimes I have a very mental script of how things that I want to go through, conversation-wise. And in this particular case, I was thinking about my credentials. Let us put it that way. As a, as a teacher, as a TA, or as an instructor, in a way, right? Because my first year, my very first year here in the West, I got the ACM Best TA Assistant, uh, Teaching Assistant Award. And I was very surprised, honestly. I was very surprised because I don't think that I gave my all. I don't think that I, that I, that I tried that hard. And yet, they, they gave me this prize, which... I still, I still have, I have, I got this little trophy that I cherish as the pinnacle of my personal accomplishments <laughs> in a way, because in Brazil, I have TA'd a lot. I think, I think I always TA in my, in my, my academic career. If I, if I was able to be a TA, I would be a TA. I love teaching. I love sitting down with students and helping out with things that I love, that I enjoy, right? So I thought, I was a TA for logic, and I'm talking in Brazil, for logic, for introduction to computer science. At some point, I was so pissed by the quality of introduction to computer science that I sat down in the summer with the professor and we completely reworked the syllabus together. And I took this, this leadership role to be the leader of the of the TAs and you know really hiring people making sure that we have servers to run the the programs and getting people to do the the exercises to come up with with problems completely organizing this stuff because I was very very upset with the quality of the course and I I engaged and I went through that and I, I had a, a really bad experience at the end so I was really really bitter about about instructing, you know, like about about the the quality of. <sighs> I'm not sure how to how to relate this experience, but I was I was a little bitter about about being a TA, you know, at, at this time in my life, and this is when they gave me this award, and I think it kind of like, we liked this 
something in my heart that I that I definitely appreciate and I definitely enjoy. So yeah, I went through this personal problems with this professor over there that kind of like I feel that he kind of stepped me in my back, uh, even though I, I I gave everything and didn't get any kind of recognition. On the contrary, we were not like the government could not pay us our salaries in the end because again that's also in the nature of third world countries that many of you guys wouldn't understand long story short i worked very hard for this set of people for this professor in particular and i completely revamped and reworked the structure of a, a very important class for that is given for i think around 400 students in the department of computer science university of brasilia for no recognition whatsoever, for no money, for no, even even sometimes they will give us as credits, right? As it counts for for ending the your coursework, but it was not my case because it was, it was my last year, so I I couldn't even use those credits, and I was very bitter about it. And I come here to the U.S. and they gave me this sense of recognition, which was was very nice. It was I, I I really I really enjoyed and. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe some. <laughs> uh, this is where you probably face a little bit of the more mystical Pedro now for what I'm going to say. You know, like kind of maybe it was the universe giving me this, this sign that, hey, this is this is something for you you know like there is something that you do well you do you i think i think i, I teach i teach well um th that those are things that i have i have had feedback in the recent years recently along the years i, th I think i don't want to praise myself or anything like that again this is i i'm, I'm talking this mostly to take it out for myself in a way as well. So this semester, I yeah, every semester here I was a TA for something. I was a TA for 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 programming in C, for programming languages, both grad and undergrad. I was a TA for um number what's the name this quit math so like some probability oh i hate i hate when i have to ta probability stuff i'm so bad i am so bad uh like i feel like a, a complete fool because sometimes these students are gonna be better at doing probability stuff than i am I, i'm i really struggle with <laughs> statistics and probability <laughs> it's not my my mind and my my head is not wired to think to think about those things and physics as well Phys i'm really bad in physics I, that's the only course I failed when I was an undergrad was was with physics. Any case, I also TA'd introduction to how's it called like Java programming. Yeah, this here in the in the in, in, at Purdue, it's like CS one eighty introduction to programming, like introduction to Java, Java. And oh my god, I had such a good time. I was so proud of my students because so there are two classes here, two forty. So programming in C and Java that you really develop a much closer relationship with your students because you are close, enclosed in a lab for two hours every week. So you see the students developing, you see the students struggling, and you have this opportunity to be very close to them and help them out and see 
their thought process and what are the things that are they're gonna, they, that they are going to they are throughout the semester getting hooked on and you learn those patterns and some students you see that they struggle and you can sit down and you slow things down and really go go down to the essence really goes as low as possible until you find what is hooking this person up and you trigger that that key at that particular place when you finally find it and all of a sudden there is this deep understanding in this eye have you ever witnessed that you know like you can see their pupil dilating like and you and you can can see this moment in this person that he has acquired something that nobody never is going to take away from him he learned something he understood something in the core you know it's not it, it didn't give him that he he got there you helped him to get to this place and it's it's beautiful it's really really beautiful and this is what gets me going and this is why i want to be a professor so even though i have a lot of experience being a been in the industry been a podcaster been doing different things i still want to be a professor this is why i didn't i didn't stay in galois as well in the end i was kind of bored you know there is there, it misses something there is this quality of having this interaction of sharing knowledge of guiding someone through these dark paths of human knowledge which is uh, it's, just, it's just beautiful anyways wow Wow, this is getting deep. Well, what, what did you expect from the beginning? Oh, <laughs> about my fucking childhood, right? Anyways, anyways, I'm doing my PhD at Purdue. I went to Galois. I was his teaching assistant. I got some awards. And then the pandemics hit. Finally, finally, we get to the point where this podcast is created and I can now, now we start another phase. This is another point in this episode. Okay. This is the transition. We were talking about me and my life. Now we're going to talk about the podcast. Now you guys are in a position of understanding what is behind, who is, who is behind, what is behind, who is behind this podcast. Does that make sense? Is that, is that a thing? Okay. So the pandemic hits, and there we are, March 2020. Wow, I just came back from New Orleans. Popo 2020 was in January in New Orleans. What an amazing place. What a time. What a time, my friends. That was cool. I saw Palette there. Yeah, it was, it was a while. I love conferences so much. It's also another thing that that gets me going is you know like meeting people these passionate people in conferences is such such a lively environment where you can genuinely make friends and talk about things that you are all passionate in this in this room and you are all 100% living breathing eating that thing that topic in the conference and for us popo programming languages right 
you leave programming languages. God, I had I had a I went to a restaurant with Eve Bertol. Also, also an episode here. I don't remember the name. I think it's before the tenth episode. Look for the history of Cockart, Eve Bertol. And he wanted to go with a with a proper Brazilian to a Brazilian steakhouse so that I could, you know, tell him what is legitimate or not. So if if you're thinking about if you want to learn a little more about Brazil and, and our culture a little bit, you can go to this amazing steakhouse, by the way. Everything's extremely legitimate. It's called Fogo de Chão, or if for an, a more Americanized accent, Fogo de Chão, <laughs> because there is an accent on the A over there, and it's hard for, for a non-Brazilian to get that right. But it's for the show. It's a little more um, downtown, let's put it that way. Anyways, Popo, that was, that was nice. I went to a couple of conferences. I love conferences. I didn't even count conferences in this, in this conversation. But um, right after that conference, COVID hit. So it was very nice to have one last conference before the world ends, right? Like before COVID, after COVID, this, our lives are so, we all are so different. We all survived a global pandemic. That's no small feat. That was, that was tough. It was very tough. And it was very upsetting for me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, we go back to that, particular problem we were talking about you know like recognizing our tough times and also knowing that other people have have tougher times i know that a lot of people have a lot of very very tough times during covid and and i'm sorry like it's i it's 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 tough but i was I was going, so I, I got hired for yet another internship at Nomadic Labs. So I was very, very excited to go to Paris for this internship. I've never been to Europe, so I was extremely excited to spend a a summer away from from this very... So Purdue is in a very, very small town called Lafayette in Indiana. And quite frankly, there is not much to do here. Um, especially for grad students, I think I think I have to thread lightly here because I don't I don't wanna don't wanna give a bad, you know, like push people away from Purdue. It's an amazing institution, amazing university, amazing professors, amazing experience all around. But it's important for to give this kind of warning, right? To give this um, mindset that. It can be a little bit of an isolating experience for grad students. Yes, there are many other grad students, but most of the population here is made of undergrads. And once you're a grad student, most likely you're already slightly out of their of their age range. And then it starts getting a little harder for you to, you know, make friends and go out and, and do that sort of stuff. I'm not saying that this is definitely the everyone's experience. This was my experience. I've been here for five, almost six years now, and especially being a single male in a engineering school where <laughs> the amount of males here is uh, severely outweighs the amount of 
of girls around. So it's yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, COVID hits. We are all stuck in our homes, and this time, I, I really, I really thought about going back to Brazil, but I was, I was afraid to be to be stuck over there. So I stayed put, and that's that's the that's when that's when I started the podcast because I started listening to a lot of podcasts and I really love the format. And here's why: I think they feel, I think you, if you're a podcast listener, you know, if you if you really are a podcast listener, you will relate to what I'm gonna say right now. The quality of information in this modern world, in this modern world, is weird. Information is so pulverized across all kinds of media's, across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. Hacker news. That's only talking about social media, but you know, like all the media outlets competing every single day for your attention. So much information. How can we possibly parse all of that? We only have so much time. We only have so much capacity, brain capacity attention so this is the quality of the world that we sit in it's all of these different outlets of information competing for a little bit of your attention right so often enough it's very hard for you to understand what are the what is behind what this outlets of information want from you or what are their what are they trying to, to sell right what what is behind them what are their views what are they trying to convince you of because in the end of the day it's kind of like that's what it comes down to right everything is just so so quick so fast so chilled in the sense of we don't it's getting rare more and more rare for us to sit down and take the time to read the book to really get the information from the source right everything's so fast everything's happening so fast that we don't take our times to get depth from information and this is why I love podcasts. Because I believe this is the last, this is pretty much the only media that survives, kind of, where you get, you know, lengthy information. You get information to the core, to the source. You really get it all. From people, often enough, you kind of can trust. It's complicated. It's complicated because... You cannot trust everyone, but on the other hand, 
most podcasters they're not we're not making much money I, i'm definitely not making any money from this but i'm actually spending money which by the way this is a great opportunity for me to ask you to donate something because i'm definitely need money to th keep things running right i have accountancy to pay the bills in brazil i have the website i have uh a bunch of little services here and there is definitely eating a little bit of my resources. So if you can help, go to the website. We have a platform over there and you can be a very exclusive member on our Discord with access to exclusive channels and things like that. I'm still thinking what are some interesting perks I can give you guys, but um, definitely definitely help us out. Pay me at this a coffee, something like that. If you, if you got this far of the conversation, let me know. Really that, let me know. What are your thoughts like? Because, <laughs> anyways, so podcast is this last very deep kind of conversation that people can have and really get into the core of the subject, right? Like in a news article, you it's usually a person who never who doesn't really know what they're talking about, you know, like journalists. They're experts in nothing. They're experts in just transmitting the information, but you're not getting that information from the source and getting that information from the source is kind of hard. And even then the journalists are going to bring things that are kind of like, again, chilled and per per portrayed in a particular way that he's trying to make a point about something, you know. And, and and podcast is is a little more genuine in that sense. Anyone can have a podcast. This is something that I that I'm a huge believer in, right? Is decentralization. Anyone can have access to something, which is something that also very deeply troubles me with the quality of media right now. Is is this conversation about censoring, about how strongly YouTube has been censoring some YouTubers, you know. Um, I have to be really careful now because this is, this is a very complicated conversation. And I tend to avoid these conversations in open spaces like this for obvious reasons. Right, it's way too controversial, way too controversial. And it's very easy to be misinterpreted. Someone takes you out of a little bit of context where you're coming from and then you are completely canceled, which is something that I low key dread. It's being canceled on Twitter and oh. <laughs> I hope you guys, you know, especially, especially if you got here, then I hope I hope we're in a place of much deeper understanding with each other now, right? And that you you will have a, a better feeling of understanding of where I'm coming from, of with what I'm going to just say right now, okay? But again, let's take it lightly because it is a very complicated conversation, this topic of censoring, because these media outlets such as YouTube definitely have some, what's the word, responsibility in the information that is being so widely distributed in their platforms, right? And I understand that. I definitely understand that. But at the same time, the part of me 
that is a lover of truth and of knowledge that I've already made myself very clear throughout this last, how long has it been? One hour, two hours? I cannot be in a place of sheer acceptance of the way that these medias have been treating censoring and completely just censoring how things are going. People talk, people literally, by the mention of particular keywords, they have their channel shut down just because they said a particular word and it's irretrievable. I know stories of podcasts, of YouTubers that lost their whole channel that they were building for the last five, 10 years, what was, was their main source of income. They lost it all because they said the wrong thing. And there, there is no way back. There's no one to go there and talk to. It's very trouble to my soul the level of power that these particular medias have, the, the level of power that YouTube have, the level of power that Google have. And again, this is why I love podcasts. This is why, by the way, I'm not, I'm taking so long to put this podcast on YouTube. I, I really have trouble, personal trouble with this. But hey, I am putting I'm putting the podcast on YouTube. It's it's there already, but I'm not advertising it yet. But I'm gonna grow this podcast to YouTube next year. Yes, it's happening. I'm gonna make live interviews. I'm gonna make it happen. I will need sponsors for this. I am going to be talking with companies. If you have a if you are a member of a company, say Galois, Twig, something like that, Facebook, Google, something like that, Amazon. Please, please let me know ways that I can try to get sponsorship from you guys. I I, I need to. I I'll, I'll be expanding this show to that to this to these other platforms. I'm gonna be making live interviews. I'm gonna be traveling Europe next year talking to professors i'm gonna be very annoying knocking door to door universities and be like hey let's sit down for one or two hours and have a deep conversation let's talk about your research let's really go down let's go deep let's go beyond a paper because a paper is just so dry so dry the kind of information that is in a paper and sitting down face to face you know, you can transmit a quality of information that you cannot transmit in a paper, especially not the kind of paper that we publish nowadays, right? With these very, very narrow margins of amount of pages that you can have and this very particular kind of format and... Boy. The way academia is right now is is weird. It's, it's, it's really weird. Especially here in the US. 
Academia is an industry. It has become an industry. You have to justify your existence by getting money, right? Professors, they have to keep writing grants and churning the wheel for more and more and more papers. Their careers depend on this. So you see this environment of great stress for everyone, great strain in the mental health of everyone. Because you're pushing and pushing the limits of every single person in the different levels of this issue. You have the department that have to run a business to get money for that the professors are being pushed to get grants in order to pay for their students and also pushing their students to make research but with a very big asterisk in the word research here because it's a very particular kind of research that they have to do they have to do publishable research Okay, now this is another very complicated topic, which is the quality, the current, which is the current, pro which is the current nature of how academia is right now, especially in our field, particularly in our field. As you probably know from a couple of episodes ago when I told about my sabbatical that I took last year that I was in Brazil, spending time with my family. I came back to the US and all of a sudden I am very worried about the quality of academia. So I, I, I really spent my time to study the history of academia, study where things came from and where things went wrong. Let us put it that way. And Especially with the case of Rupsha. I talked to her. I still want to have her in the show, but I think she's not ready to voice, to have a, to bring things to the, to the wider audience right now. And it, it, it really, it really troubles me. You know, this, this industry scenario of how things are, are going, right? Because again, what I, the, the point that I was making is that professors are pushing their students to have publishable research. So students are going to spend a lot of time trying to wrap their ideas in a way that they can sell. It's all about being able to sell things to others. That's the, the main quality of what a publication of what the publication process currently is in a particular format 
that is accessible and understandable to the other people. And it's, it, it gets even weirder because the peers who are doing these evaluations, they are, they are under a very severe constraint of, of time. Time is very limited. Everyone is, 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 is being pushed a lot, right? So often enough, a common complaint that you will hear is that the reviewer didn't quite understand, they didn't quite grasp where you were coming from in your paper. This is a hard problem. It's a hard problem to solve. And one, one question that I've been asking and I've been musing in my head is why do we have why do we even have peer review anyways <laughs> where did this come from apparently it came from i think 16 1700s I'm, I'm horrible with dates but it was definitely in the royal society it's this amazing people that it was back in the day was what was what academia was was the royal royal society in london in a I'm not sure if it's London, but it's in the UK. And someone came with this brilliant idea of peer reviewing. And I was I was looking at the history of that, and it's very, very entertaining how the first peer reviewing in the history was a complete disaster. <laughs> the reviewers could not accept, like, they could not come to a common understanding whether to accept or de decline the paper because one of the guys, they were getting hooked up into the formal details and the technicalities because he's also an expert in the field. That's the idea of what a peer means, right? So the other guy, he was coming up in a more broad sense of how important this kind of work was being done and the accomplishments that he was doing to push the field forwards. And the other guy kept complaining of the sense of well, we cannot leave it be published like this because it has real errors. So they cannot, they could not in the end come down with a, with a proper agreement. But in the end of the day, especially in the medical sciences, the peer reviewing process was, was very important to double check all the experiments and how things were, were going through. And eventually it came, it, it became the de facto way of doing science which is what we do nowadays. So I've been thinking a lot about, about the quality of, of knowledge, communicating knowledge, of doing research, of academia in general. <laughs> in a way, I have this really weird notion of what doing a PhD even means. Because for me, Doing a PhD is as if you're being accepted in, a, in this cult. <laughs> Become a peer in this very niche field. So we are here talking about programming languages, type theory programming languages. So you go through this very, very hard, excruciating years, four, five, six, seven years, doing research, proving yourself, sh going through this, or dadias, let's call it that. That's what the, the mystics call. And 
in the end, you have to prove yourself in the front of other experts. And that's why it's called the PhD defense, because you're going to stand your ground and show that you know what you're talking about and show that you deserve to be a member of this small community. And this is why, this is also why conferences are so, are so nice is because it's a very small community. It's a small town. Maybe some communities are smaller or bigger than others. Some are more like bigger cities, but programming language is a very, very small town. And that is also very, very nice. You know, go back to these conferences, see your friends again, catch up, spend time and meet new people, have these new faces coming in and out and talking to these students, making amazing stuff. And many of them have no idea how much pressure it's about to be in their shoulders, unfortunately. But again, I don't want to scare any of you. Just putting things in a bigger perspective. What are your thoughts about academia nowadays? I think it's really weird. I think we're in a, it's a weird time in, in human society, honestly, with all this AI, doom and gloom, chat GPT. Things are changing so fast. This is, this is my notion of why things are so chaotic as well is because it's not clear where we're going. It's not clear what is the path forward. It's very uncertain how the future is going to look like in 10, 20, let alone 100 years. So we just keep going one day at a time, doing our best. That's the best we can do. It seems to me this is a very good place to end this episode. I am not particularly sure how long this this took. I know that it's it's very long. That's all I know. It's much longer than I expected. I had a lot more to say than I than I thought I had. Which is a good thing. It's a very good thing. And I still have more to say. I didn't say everything that I wanted to say. In particular, I never done I've never done the retrospective <laughs> this was one of the main points that i wanted to touch in this episode let's wrap up with that how was this year for for the type theory for our podcast how was this three last years it was three years it's amazing it's amazing i can barely believe it's been three years i don't feel like i have a, i own a podcast for three years by no means it was so fast I've been trying very hard to have one episode out at least once a month. It's very hard for me to accomplish that given all the other tribulations in life. However, rest assured that I work very hard to, to deliver this content for you guys. And I have, I have an immense respect and love for each one of you who, is, who takes the time to listen to me. The reason why... I created the podcast was because we don't have media, we don't have entertainment, we don't have things, you know, like 
other ways to digest information about programming languages and type theory. It's it's very limited, the, the, the sort of stuff that we have if we compare it to, you know, the huge amount of information that we have on machine learning, on crypto cryptograph cryptography or mathematics, things like that. For you know, just wanna the main goal of the show is to offer you guys a little bit of entertainment. That's the heart, the core of this is entertainment. If you learn something along the way, it's a huge plus. It's in the it's in the essence of, of the topics that we're gonna touch is is not is learning, is talking about things and making sure. But in the end of the day, my goal here is to entertain you guys, is to keep things very light because these topics they're very heavy, they're very complicated, they're very complex. Anyone doing research in this, rest assured, you are smart and you are worthy. Even though you will not feel like that in this community. And I don't feel and I don't say this in a bad way, by no means. This is I, I say this with the best of the intentions because we are just surrounded with so many so smart people all of the time. It's sometimes it's hard to feel that you belong. <laughs> Imposter syndrome is real. It's a big thing. So no. Each one of you guys you have you deserve to be where you are. Rest assured, I, I'm telling you, if, if I deserve to be here, you deserve to be here, okay? <laughs> so in retrospective, I am, I am so, so glad. The reason why I started telling my story is, is that I, wanna give, I wanted to give a perspective that I feel I feel so accomplished. I feel so accomplished. I feel that anything that comes in life for me, it's it's a plus. So having this podcast, having this conversation with amazing people, oh my god! So I feel I feel very honorable notion. I feel very memorable. I feel I feel of the mentions that I have to make here in retrospective of people that really shaped what this podcast is because you know like we learn along the way I'm still learning I'm trying to figure out what are the best ways how what kinds of conversation is going to be more engaging how to you know like long short host co-host but there, there were a few episodes that I think shaped deeply the, the quality of what I'm trying to achieve here because sometimes it's not very clear, you know. But I think, in particular, the conversation with Connell Elliott was, was a mark in this podcast. This, the, the depth of the conversation that we had, it changed me in amazing ways. You know, the quality of the way, the depth that he could relay his experience. It was very beautiful. It was very beautiful. I want to re-listen to it again. If you didn't, definitely go check it out. Kevin Buzzard was an amazing, amazing guest. He's, he's such an amazing, prolific person. 
more recently, Leonardo de Moura. I'm just... Uh, part of me still cannot believe that I've been talking to these people as equals, in a way. <laughs> it, just, it just blows my mind. It really does. Like, how these amazing people that I, that I uh, nearly idolize in my life, it's, and they are so humble, and they take their time, and really, you can see their passion and their joy to be sharing these things. Yves Berthold, amazing person, great guy, had a lot of fun hanging out with him. The history of Cockart was, was very interesting. Conversation with Ben was was also a mark since it was it was you know it was the first having Talia Ringer here was was very nice. I am so sure like I'm I'm just I'm just going through a couple of people that really flashes in my head that like it was very very important for for the history of the podcast in a sense and i am sure that i'm still forgetting some very important ones because that's also part of how memory works it plays tricks on you and i i sh i should honestly have prepared a better a better list of these things that i wanted to to talk about but um okay so one thing that i definitely forgot to mention is that i am transferring my phd to an European institution. I I am leaving the U.S. I'm I'm mastering out Purdue in May, and then I'm going to find another program of PhD to transfer to. So if you think I would be a good match for your university or for your research group, or if you're a professor and you think that our interests would align and you want to do good science, please let me know. Reach out. And that's that's it. I'll be visiting European institutions towards the end of next year, second semester. And I think that was all that I have to say today. Thank you so much if you listened this far. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. And I hope you guys have an amazing new year. See you guys next time.